Hello and welcome to Talk Gnosis, the web's premier talk show about Gnosticism, the esoteric, mysticism, religion, spirituality, conspirituality, conspiracy theory, lizard people, yoga culture, meditation, contemplation, QAnon, and the fact that I am actually JFK Jr. Real heads will get that reference. I am Deacon Jonathan Stewart, joined from Chicago, we have Bishop <laughs> Lane Peterson. Hello, Deacon. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Oh, um, I'm, I'm live in Montreal, and we are super excited to have uh, part two of our show with our guest, Matthew Remsky. Before I throw over to Matthew to tell you, uh, tell you folks what he's about, you should stop the show. And if you haven't seen part one, you should watch part one. Uh, I'll, yes, I will hyperlink it uh, in the, the show notes. Uh, and it really is a continuation of that discussion. So highly recommend checking out part one. An, an awesome show, uh, amazingly relevant to today's life. Uh, it's one of the, you know, you don't really, look, I'll let you in on a secret, right? You know, we talk about a lot of interesting things, but can you talk about them with other people? Probably not. You know, these shows <laughs> of Matthew are going to give you some great new, deep discussions to have of those in your life. That said, Matthew Remsky, hello. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, both for having me back. Um, so I am a cult survivor and a researcher. I work mainly in the field of um, institutional abuse in, in yoga and Buddhist communities. Uh, recently, I just uh, published a feature with the Walrus Magazine here in Toronto about Shambhala International, and that'll be in the show notes. Um, and, you know, as the, the, the winds of COVID blow us forward, um, I have turned my focus, as so many people have, into trying to figure out um, what uh, both conspirituality and QAnon mean within the cultic landscape. So I've turned most of my attention to that. Um, currently, I'm, I'm working on another feature uh, that is about uh, how QAnon has infiltrated Canada and how that happens differently, uh, how it shows up differently than it, than it does in, in a place like the US. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, it's it's a new it's it's a new chapter for me there's continuity with the old but at the same time um you know uh QAnon is so different with regard to uh the previous cultic literature that that uh i think we all have to really stretch our brains and hearts around it yes exactly um and i remember i, I mean i feel almost I don't know the right way, right way to phrase this without sounding really strange, but it was like when QAnon first started, because I've talked about before, you know, I'm interested in this stuff, and and, sh and shamefully, shamefully now that it's that it's having such a big influence, it has a form of, of almost entertainment. So when QAnon started, I couldn't wait to tell my wife and my cat, my two best friends, being like, <laughs> oh, this is so crazy, it takes so many different conspiracy theories, and it's so funny, and you, you won't believe it. And, and now, you know, I'm sad both because because this quirky thing, quirky is not quite the right word, that I was interested in is now being known by the whole world. And of course, it's not funny. Like, it's not funny no, at all anymore because it's, it's having real world impacts almost yeah. every day, 
right? It's being reflected in in people's day to day lives. Yeah. And and of course, we'll we'll get into that. So so again, I, I have a question uh, here, and, and I, I do want to emphasize yet again to our audience that uh, this is uh, part two of the uh, of our discussion with Matthew. And um, uh, the question is psychedelics and meditation they've both been booming in popularity lately is there some way that these may make people more vulnerable to conspiracy theories and the groups that push conspiracy theories it's a great question uh on our podcast we um we did an episode precisely on psychedelics and uh the intermingling of psychedelics and conspiracism over the last six months or so and our guest for the episode was uh, a woman named lorna lee who um uh, she runs uh, a media platform called entheogen.com. And she told us this extraordinary thing, which is that, um, well, two, I mean, lots of extraordinary things, but the two things that stand out were that um, she had become aware of uh, neo-shamans, or I guess, um, I, I don't know, faux shamans. There's, I guess there's there's there are levels of of credibility and accreditation within this very unregulated context which i don't know that much about so mm -hmm. so um i'm just really just going to quote from her and from my colleague derek who has just published a book on psychedelics called the hero's dose um but she said that uh there there were some unscrupulous um ceremony leaders who were actually engaged in red pilling their uh, their ceremony participants while in states of plant medicine journeying. Uh, mm -hmm. So people in hyper vulnerable states being told stuff about, you know, the spiritual warfare involving the forces of, of light and darkness and how Trump is a trickster figure and so on. Um, so that was very disquieting to hear about. The other thing mm -hmm. that, that she said was that um, there were, um, there, there were some key uh, legitimate Amazonian elders uh, amongst the, you know, the 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 realms of the shamanic priesthood, I guess, within plant medicine culture, uh, who had become ill with COVID over the last uh, little while, and that was likely linked to the fact that. Uh, there was both a lack of uh, education in the local regions, but also because uh, ayahuasca ceremonies especially are, are just not COVID safe, mm -hmm. uh, and they just can't be. Uh, and she also spoke about the economic uh, pressures for these, uh, you know, basically uh, spiritual tourist escapades to continue, even though the rest of the world is in lockdown. And so there are, I think there are some, some very difficult stories that are emerging in the pandemic conspirituality, uh, you know, QAnon era within psychedelia. Um, but I'd also say that uh, I've heard from various sources and some of the reporting that I've done that uh, plant medicine has been a feature in uh, a number of wellness influencers uh, waking up or, you know, epiphany moments with regard to, you know, understanding that 
COVID is a hoax, uh, which it isn't, or that um, you know somehow the the moment is ripe for spiritual transformation because the forces of authoritarianism are are, are gathering. Uh, and I, I think it really speaks to the fact that often plant medicine is, I think, what they call a non-specific enhancer or um, something that something that will enliven or 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 you know really. Um, exalt any experience or point of view, uh, which is why, uh, as I think Lorna and both Derek pointed out in that episode, the whole notion of set and setting are crucial that uh, for safe plant medicine experiences and, and you know, experiences with other psychedelics, uh, there has to be a clear intention for uh, the person who's going on the journey. And there also has to be uh, a real sense of ethical safety. And, you know, again, in an unregulated industry, um, those are things that are very difficult to assess before people plunge in. Yeah. With regard to meditation, uh, I would say that um, you know the, the 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 various branches of globalized meditation training all will have components to them that make adherence vulnerable to. Uh, two things: um, the the notion that in order to be, you know, awakened in terms of your perspective on the world, that you would concentrate on refraining from judgment or refraining from analysis, that you would uh, try to concentrate primarily upon subjective experience instead of you know observational experience. And and I think you know taken to an extreme that would make a person vulnerable to to indoctrination for sure. But then there's another aspect which is that um, you know in many uh, contemporary religious communities, um, you know associated with yoga, Buddhism, the New Age, that uh, that meditation itself um, is a, a promoter of entrancement uh, and and a sensation of uh, you know, timelessness or, um, you know, re repetitive sensation that is both self-soothing, but also uh, can put a person into an altered state. Uh, and, and the way that people speak uh, about the experience of becoming indoctrinated into QAnon often, for example, often tracks onto the way people speak about, you know, epiphanic meditative experiences that change their lives forever. Um, you know, the difference being that if you're doing it through meditation, you're in control. If you're if you're being red-pilled into QAnon, it's probably the YouTube AI that's in control. Yeah. So for our next question, there's two parts to this, and I'm sure the, the first part is a question that's on many people's minds, and it might be on their minds because it is uh, something that's happening to them. So, so the first part of the question is, is, what do you do to talk to a loved one who's fallen into conspirituality? And the second part of that question, and the second part comes from uh, the part-time Talknosis uh, host, loyal listener, Jason Memel. Uh, you know, he like myself, and I think probably many other people, and possibly you and Lainey, uh, agree that the QAnon is a heck of a story, right? It's it's a thriller <laughs> novel. <laughs> you know, there's no James Bond movie that has a, a twisting plot that twists around as uh, as QAnon does. And it's also a meta-narrative. It brings in every conspiracy theory. It's it, it's I, I can mm -hmm. see why it's gripping. So right. 
So the first part is, 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 is what do we do to talk to a loved one who's fallen into spirituality? The second one is, is, is perhaps more of a statement, but Jason's wondering if, if they're being consumed by a story, they've been taken over, reprogrammed by a narrative in a way, is it about presenting a better story, a story that perhaps matches up more of reality? It's such a great question because mm -hmm. um, one of the things that becomes clear in looking at uh, the world that uh, you know, a brainworm-like QAnon actually suppresses or even erases is that it's fairly drab. Uh, it's it's boring, um, and uh, this was really brought home in the episode that we did with um, uh, with with the director of the Center for Controlling uh, Digital Hate. Um, his name is uh, uh, Imran Ahmed, and he uh, said that. He said something very simple. He said, nobody tweets the NHS uh, or the Natural National Health Service in Britain. And, uh, you know, here in Canada, we would have, you know, the, the kind of pokey social media accounts of Ontario Health or Canada Health uh, tweeting out the daily advisory on mask usage and so on. And we see these things perhaps in our feeds, uh, but I don't think many of us think to actually boost or to share that data. I think there's the impression that, oh, well, that's the government. It's doing its thing. It's present on social media. It's trying to do outreach. Uh, it doesn't need our help. Well, um, you know, the, all of the research is showing that uh, rates around uh, vax hesitancy versus vax vaccination enthusiasm really depend upon how much the person is getting their news from social media. Uh, and so actually foregrounding the data uh, that is uh, streamed to social media from public health agencies would be a good thing to do. And yet it's not very interesting. It, it, it would feel like a dorky thing to do to retreat, to, to retweet, you know, the, the Toronto health commissioner. At least for some people, unless they're specialists, right? So it's something that I'm actively working at trying to remember to do. Uh, but um, this question of if if the person is has been swept away by the the passion, the complexity, um, the you know emotional intensity of a conspirituality or QAnon narrative, uh, what's actually going to replace that? What's that? What's going to sound more? Um, appealing to them? It's a really difficult question to answer. And and I, I think it, it became even more sort of apparent to me when I realized uh, in researching one of these, these articles that uh, I've got coming out, uh, I got to interview a couple of QAnon devotees. Um, and and they were they but they were both of them were extremely earnest in their um, uh, framing of their work as being sort of parallel to the work of epidemiologists, right? <laughs> like they, they, you know, for, for them, uh, COVID is a hoax. It's perpetrated by, you know, the, the authoritarian cabal. Uh, it's designed to groom us into giving up our civil liberties and accepting, you know, masking and biochipping and all the rest of it while we give away our children for cannibalism. Um, so that's what the pandemic is for. And, you know, while it has its heroes, like epidemiologists who are trying to sift through all of this data and come up with very, very complex models for what's going to happen in the future, um, that's actually what 
the bakers for QAnon are doing as they sift through the Q drops and that they try to put together the epidemiology of how the virus of the cabal has spread and you know how it can possibly uh, be destroyed. Uh, and they're trying to make predictions as well. So, so it's not just that you know, the person who has been red-pilled is in, you know, crazy land. They're actually in a carefully structured alternate reality that is parallel to our own. Um, and that's both scary, but it also, to me, it begins to answer or possibly give a window into answering the first question you have, which is, you know, how do you talk to the person who's in that world? Um, and, you know, I think the answer is really primarily going to depend upon the strength of the relationship. Um, that you have with that person and how secure it is. But I would say that if you can feel, I, just my gut says from a recovery, cult recovery perspective, if you can feel your way into what the person has found so appealing, uh, into what they are so excited about or triggered by or activated by, uh, you'll stand a better chance of showing them that you share their basic human concerns, which happen to be manipulated. Uh, and uh, I think that's a really good first step. And then, you know, the, the basic thing that all the cult recovery literature says is, um, as the friend, you're responsible for reminding the person uh, but in subtle ways and in non-intrusive ways that there is another world still and that they are welcome to come back to it. And um, one of the ways that you do that is is you you just don't criticize. You don't call them, you don't tell them that they're stupid. You don't even tell them that they're wrong necessarily. Uh, but because, because, you know, part of the reason that uh, they have they have they have entered into this alternate reality is that they were told they were wrong about their experience at some point uh and so you don't want to repeat the the kind of structural power imbalance that that is already part of uh their storyline so um the individual sort of bits and pieces of like how do you talk to talk to the person you know it really depends on on the security of the prior relationship and and what cues you would use to remind the person of that and that's going to be highly individual yeah yeah exactly i'm going to pause for a moment uh because i forgot at the top of the show to do our commercial for patreon and i try to do it early because people will turn it off at the end i love right. you i do the same thing i do the same thing i'm not judging you we love you uh we do have to use a digital studio to make the show 99 perspectives when you start your own podcast or youtube show you should use them too which means that without the support of viewers like you we cannot do the show as we are poor writers so if you are able to please go to patreon.com gnostic you can uh, support us for as little as a dollar per month per piece of media there you can also set a cap and I know that these are difficult times, so if you're unable to donate and help us out financially, uh, please share the show, put it on your social media, rate and review it, subscribe to us on the podcatcher of your choice, subscribe to us on YouTube. And if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do paypal slash paypal.me slash Gnostic. Uh, okay, so that leads in quite well to my next question. Matthew, is there a financial incentive for leaders who want to be leaders in groups to pivot to conspirituality? Um, well, what we've seen uh, so far is that um, 
wellness influencers, yoga influencers who begin to adopt uh, conspirituality or QAnon references see their engagement go through the roof. Mm -hmm. uh, this happens over and over and over again. Now, um, I should qualify that by saying that it seems to happen for smaller accounts moving into larger accounts much more strongly than accounts that are already large. So for example, um, I think Christiane Northrup has actually lost followers from a peak of around something around uh, 545,000 Facebook followers. And as she's gotten deeper and deeper into QAnon rhetoric, I think she's now down under about 500,000. It's still a minor drop though. It's not like, you know, it's 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 not like what happens when when uh, I don't know a, a sex predator or something like that is deep deplatformed. Uh, mm -hmm. It hasn't hurt, it hasn't hurt her that much, um, but for for sure the the inflammatory rhetoric uh, certainly increases engagement amongst uh, wellness influencers, and you know we know that there are strong monetization streams for all of the main qAnon youtubers uh you know so the amazing Polly, uh for example has 347,000 face or youtube followers and you know so she's making substantial money just from her streams uh then there's a merch department there are books on amazon uh amazon is selling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, QAnon products and has not removed them yet. So that's all fully monetized. Um, but I would say that for, for wellness influencers in general, uh, there's a very fine line to walk where uh, it's almost as if um, the, the, there's a, there's a sense that one must test the waters. Uh, the, the really good example that I can bring to the table here is from the feature article that I did for Gen by Medium on uh, Dr. Kelly Brogan and her husband, Sayer G. Uh, now, Sayer G is the proprietor of Green Med Info, which is probably one of the most influential alt health, uh, some say pseudoscience wellness uh, websites on the internet. It's been open since about 2009. And uh, he has a very powerful digital footprint with something like uh, 450,000 email recipients that he sends newsletters to twice a day. And, and currently, uh, those newsletters usually have some kind of COVID denialist article or conspiritualist headline in them. Uh, and so that's very powerful. Now, as I was tracking the uh, development or, and, and the, the escalation of, uh, of GreenMed Info's uh, COVID denialism, uh, what I noticed was that uh, Sayerji started to use QAnon-related terms. Um, he would tell people uh, on Facebook that uh, they should take the red pill, for example, and meet him on Telegram. Uh, there was a point at which he retweeted uh, a meme from um, David Avocado Wolf that uh, <laughs> included, that included the hashtag uh, hashtag PizzaGate is real, which is a which is a, a QAnon um, you know uh, hashtag. And so uh, when I'm asking him for comment to clarify his views, whether he endorses QAnon or not, uh, he actually did, didn't really answer. Um, uh, he 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 didn't take the 
you can you can read the quote in the article, uh, but he didn't take the opportunity to denounce QAnon, and I think that's because uh, it's probably more efficient and um, uh, let's say let's say it's it's better marketing to not cut off that to not close the door on that demographic on the demographic that finds that discourse um uh you know uh, pro- you know uh, att- attractive so i'm speculating there i mean i don't know why he isn't denouncing qanon but i also don't know why uh he would be using it unless it was working or unless he believed in it uh to some extent so um now with somebody like uh, Christiane Northrup, the same kind of conundrum applies. It's like her whole video series on Facebook is called The Great Awakening. And, uh, you know, she uh, will tweet or refer or link to QAnon accounts. Uh, She won't herself use QAnon related language, except for phrases like the Great Awakening. Uh, And so there's this line that's being walked, it seems, where uh, a certain amount of dog whistling or pointing or coming right up to the edge of QAnon is uh, something that might be beneficial for marketing and for engagement, uh, but to cross over the line might leave one in the territory of vulnerable exposure to the fact that you know QAnon uh, is likely the the brainchild of a of a pig farming pornographer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, lady, and another good uh, uh, a good place to pause in case you have any thoughts, feelings, reflections, questions. Uh, uh, just a couple of things I wanted to, to bounce off of Matthew here and just kind of bring them up. Uh, in terms of the, the, the financial incentives, one of the things I'm finding very interesting is the use of certain terms that come right up to saying to being QAnon, but not quite. Um, as, as Jonathan mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, or actually just a little while ago, that uh, I'm, I'm a poor writer myself, I'm, I'm a content writer, and I specialize in search engine op- optimization. And right. so the, 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 I'm finding very interesting the use of certain catchphrases and words that may not necessarily be QAnon but the, it, directly, but might be the uh, dog whistles. Right. Uh, but dog whistled SEO uh, could be very profitable for those who are running websites and are selling absolutely, ads. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 QAnon has been very, very efficient at um, at at co-opting very compelling uh, terms and phrases and hashtags. So, save the children was uh, at the top of the list there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It was the first thing that was going through my head when you were talking about that. So I'm glad to have that confirmed. Another thing is, it's more of an amusing story. I have a friend who likes to get my goat by coming over and putting up Donald Trump propaganda around my place uh, because he knows it gets my goat. And the funny thing is, I told him he recently left a magnet on my refrigerator. And um, I mentioned to him that uh, I was doing this show this evening, and he said, "Well, that's kind of funny because when I ordered those Donald Trump mag or the, the, the magnets and the other stuff to, that he likes to troll me with, he said there was a bunch of QAnon stickers in the in the package." And uh, you know, now it's like, okay, so I mean, I'm assuming. Oh, that you mean that, that he had that he hadn't ordered? He he didn't. No, he hadn't ordered them. No, he didn't order. Oh, he doesn't is, believe in QAnon. He's just doing that, this to annoy me. Uh, that is that is eerie. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And there were QAnon stickers in the package. So I think he probably got them off of eBay. That's my guess. I'll have to ask him about it. But yeah, wow. they just put these 
freebies in there. And uh, I just thought it was kind of fascinating because there is a money-making opportunity here. You, you want to specialize in Trump merchandise, if only just to annoy friends. Uh, and instead, he ends up with Q propaganda. Well, the I think the the I think I think it would really take like a, a a lot of data science to and a lot of like pouring through financials whenever they're available, which is pretty obscure online, uh, to really figure out what the financial impact is of selling conspirituality alongside uh, one's wellness programs. But I can say that uh, it does seem to be a staple of the genre to um uh to to really mobilize uh the uh the rhythm of what we might call disorganized attachment um where by the influencer invokes a certain kind of fear in the uh consumer uh talks about how vaccines are like rape or talks about how um, you know, uh, you know, COVID health regulations are the beginning of the dehumanization process that leads to the Holocaust, which is a direct quote from Kelly Brogan. Uh, to use all of this menacing and um, foreboding language, uh, and basically, it, that's the cudgel in one hand, and then to hold out whatever the wellness product is in response to the cudgel or balancing out the cudgel in the other. And of course, that costs money, whether it's um, you know, a subscription to one's online program, or it's, you know, turmeric, or, you know, fresh lavender oil, or whatever. Um, there's this back and forth kind of uh, confusion between terror and care that uh, I think is deeply embedded in the structure of conspirituality economics. You know, I'm thinking also um, about 15 years ago, I started, uh, yeah, about 15 years ago, I started library school, I got a master's in library science, and I took a class on um, online online research and, and, and online web development. And we were learning the difference back then between web 0.1 and uh, 1.0 and web 2.0. And right. web 2.0 was about, web 0.10 was about, you created your own content and put it up there. The web 2.0 was putting up a platform and leveraging other people's engagement for your yeah. own uh, for, for your own profitability and getting right. everybody else to make your content for you. And what I'm hearing here is, yeah, I mean, you talked about data science, probably there are not a huge huge number of people making a large amount of money off of this, but boy, they sure can leverage the masses that they've brought in here to give them the content they need to, to, you know, have the hashtags and the SEO and the stickers um, and to make money that way. So this is, this is fascinating. Right. right. And, and to, just to add to that, and, and I don't want to, I, I mean, I'll, I'll speak about Brogan and G just a little bit more because I researched them so heavily, but one of the things that they're really good at doing is they're good at uh, co-opting the success or aspirational testimonies of their clients or community members uh, and incorporating them into their brand uh, in a very humanizing way that I, I would argue disguises the ominousness of their COVID denialism. So right now they're running a campaign called uh, uh, Thank You Body Rally uh, and it's on Instagram, 
Uh, we did a couple of spoofs of it on our on our Instagram uh, page, where you know uh, the where they have their their community members saying, you know, thank you, body, for you know giving me the symptoms that I needed to understand that would alert me to where I was imbalanced, and you know, so I could heal myself. And so the whole theme is about you know the body is miraculous and it heals itself, and I listen to it, and you know, and 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 the subtext there is for them is you know you don't need uh, vaccination. You don't need public health measures. You don't need public health. You don't need the medical system. Uh, you don't need, you know, medications at all and so on and so forth, except what we have on our, you know, herbalism website. Uh, so, so there's this, there's this uh, collection of community statements that are rallied together, put onto the page uh, and they end up having this humanizing effect on uh, the rest of the messaging, which is, uh, you know, we're all being controlled by an authoritarian regime that wants us to wear masks as a sign of submission signaling. Yeah. Um, a Persian question, I think, how do spiritual leaders, yoga instructors, meditation instructors, independent Gnostic clergy, uh, mm -hmm. not become cult leaders? How do we stay responsible to our own communities? Yeah, I mean, I think, at, you know, just being able to ask that question is a pretty good mm -hmm. sign. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that if you recognize, if you come into some sort of leadership position, you know, the personal work that you would have to do would be to answer the question, how am I managing my charisma, uh, you know, people's transferences and my own countertransferences? And so, you know, mm -hmm. if you... You know, it's not like going to psychotherapy training or, you know, becoming a psychotherapist would like cure you of all of that stuff. And there are sociopathic psychotherapists, mm -hmm. but like the basic framework of understanding what your impact is on, on other people, uh, especially if you, you know, are an attractive speaker, for example, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's like personal work. Um, structurally, you know, if you understand that, uh, the modern yoga, Buddhist, and wellness worlds are completely unregulated. Uh, and what that means is that there's really no uh, currency for, uh, there's, no, there's no meritocracy except for charisma within these worlds, right? Like, it's not like Buddhist teachers are being peer-reviewed by each other, or it's not like, um, you know, in, in the Gnostic community, you can, I don't know if you can prove, uh, you know, amongst yourselves, amongst clergy member members who has done, you know, the best qualifying work. I don't know if you have to compare notes or, or, you know, submit yourselves to an examination or anything like that. But like in the absence of that, usually what that means is that charisma is the coin of the realm. And if one recognizes that as a leader, I would hope that one would naturally uh, put in place structural restraints against the excesses of charisma. And that means, you know, a board of directors. It means, uh, you know, not having a dual role of, you know, providing the Dharma talk, but also being in control of the finances. Uh, you know, there's, so there'd be a lot of like sort of uh, clarity and separation of, of, of rules, a lot of scope of practice stuff as well. Here's a big thing in, in the yoga world is that people come to be, um, you know, high demand group leaders because somehow 
they convince the people around them that there's no part of their lives that they are not expert in, right? Mm -hmm. So the person who's the really competent, you know, yoga posture teacher at some point becomes lauded as a philosopher when that's totally inappropriate. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and if the, and if the teacher in question doesn't have the self-restraint or really the integrity or the dignity to say, Hey, wait a minute, I actually don't know anything about yoga philosophy. Uh, that's not my training. I'm going to cite and refer this other expert when you bring me that question. Um, if they don't have that restraint, if, if they get high on their own supply, let's say, um, in, in that kind of, you know, narcissistic loop that I think everybody is vulnerable to, uh, then, then yeah, that's a, that would be, that would be a red flag. Um, yeah, uh, I think, but I think the person who's, who's worried about doing that is probably that's, that's a really good defense. Okay. Excellent. Well, yeah, I, I can, I don't have to worry about any of that due to having complete lack of charisma. So, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and being a bad speaker. Thank goodness. Okay. Next question is spirituality is it particularly dangerous now? It, it feels like there's a lot of groups that are intentionally leveraging or weaponizing conspirituality for, say, political power or what we just talked about for sales. So that's people selling QAnon merch. That's groups that are promising a way through the chaos. You, if you sign up for their premium membership plan. And of course, Donald Trump is a secret superhero within Q. So of course, pushing people to make political actions, right? Right. Well, okay. So, so, um, you know, with regard to danger, um, there was just last week, we reported it on the podcast, there was a, a, a four hour broadcast of one of these online conferences that was dedicated to, you know, anti lockdown rhetoric and uh, anti masking efforts and, and, you know, uh, kind of alt health libertarianism. And it was run by a guy named Sasha Stone, uh, who runs something uh, geez, I, I forget the name of the organization, but the uh, I'll put the I'll put the link uh, in for you. But um, the event was called Line in the Sand, and it basically brought together a who's who of conspirituality in the COVID era. So Christiane Northrup, uh, you know, R RFK Jr., um, uh, Rashid Batar, David Martin. Uh, the list just went on and on. It was four hours long. Uh, everybody came on and spoke for about eight minutes, um, you know, uh, and Sasha Stone uh, hosted the whole thing. Now, I didn't know much about this guy. He is an ex-rock star uh, who is, I think, born in Zimbabwe or something like that. He has an Australian accent. He's living in Bali now where he owns a resort uh, called uh, New Earth something something. But anyway... Uh, I kid you not, here are some direct quotes from this guy who kind of looks like, um, you know, cross, but yeah, I don't know. He looks, it looks a little bit spinal tappy, but also a little bit like, you know, he's been juice fasting too. Um, and he's obviously extremely charismatic. Uh, he's actually, he says, this is a direct quote, rather than pushing back against legislators, why not get rid of them altogether? I mean, for the love of God, when we're dealing with treason, it doesn't get more serious than that. The treason he's speaking of is 
you know, violating civil rights, apparently, uh, mm -hmm. you know, through lockdown measures. Then he goes on, when we deal with agendas which are leading to genocide by any other name, surely it's about evisceration. It's about eradication. It's about wholesale takedown of the godless goddamn toxin in our civilizational midst. We should not be negotiating with any ambiguity. This is a Leviathan. This is a Medusa. And we need to take it out altogether. Now, that's very purple prose from Mr. Stone. But it's also, he's, he's inciting violence from a bamboo retreat center in Ubud, Bali. And... You know, so what I want to say in response to your question is that this stuff is escalating. Um, you know, mm -hmm. people, and I think that there's a very small step to be taken between the messianic wellness influencer who has been used to speaking to their audience in like heightened emotional terms for years uh, in order to sell them on the yoga method or the vastu or you know the how the this particular bamboo hut will connect you with your your higher frequencies um, it's a very small step between that and seizing on uh, this particular moment to kind of accelerate and heighten uh, a kind of disaster spirituality ethos where, you know, this is the moment where all of the green juice is going to come into play. You know, this is the moment in which every goji berry that we've ever eaten is really going to matter, right? It's like, we've been working this program for a long time, and now something finally is happening. Now it's all coming together, and it is it is easily politicized. And obviously, somebody like Mr. Stone is going to just go ahead and do that. Uh, you know, one of his guests, I've referred to, you know, her previously in this hour, Christiane Northrup, went on Facebook uh, a couple of days before Governor Whitmer uh, was the plot against her was foiled in Michigan. Uh, and she actually said in one of her videos that she agreed with this argument uh, that sheriffs, uh, American sheriffs, are not beholden to their governors uh, to or to the federal government. I can't remember what it is, but it's basically she she was presenting this argument that you know if you feel your civil liberties or your constitutional rights are being violated, uh, you should enlist the help of your sheriff who is not beholden to any other lawmaker. Mm -hmm. And this is an argument that is made by militia movements throughout the US mm -hmm. to say to try to say to try to say that uh well actually you know we have legal grounds for disobeying uh you know federal and state laws and the sheriffs are going to help us do that and so you know i don't know whether uh dr christiane northrup is aware of the connections there. Um, I have the sense when I hear Sasha Stone speaking that he's pretty clear on what he's doing. But again, I don't know who he is asking to eviscerate public health officials um, or what that actually looks like. Uh, but but I, I'm, I'm just, I'm very perturbed by the fact that you know, I started this conspirituality project thinking, oh, here are people who are aiding and abetting uh, an attack against public health, and that's not cool. And I kind of know the culture and the the background for how that happened. But now I'm seeing that they can actually push it a lot farther than I than I actually thought. You know, I, I just think a couple of things here. I used to do some I, back in the day, um, the, the late '90s. 
uh, into the early 2000s. I, I did some some research and some work in the area of, of radical racist groups. And there right. was one, I believe it's called uh, Posse Comitatus, which basically argued that the sheriff is the highest legitimate government official in any area. Right. Uh -huh, your local right. sheriff that was it that was right there and this this is going way back yeah it goes right back to the 70s it right goes yeah. right back to the 70s and in fact uh if for the listeners out there if you ever hear a wellness influencer today who you think might be treading into conspirituality or QAnon territory use the word sovereignty as in bodily sovereignty mm -hmm. they are actually ref they are they, they, whether they know it or not they are drawing on a key term that uh, Posse Comitatus meet, used to describe uh, the the status of the sovereign citizen. Uh, and really what this movement was about was, uh, as you say, it was about uh, trying to reestablish or at least visualize a white ethno state uh, that, you know, where people could be a law unto themselves, uh, which meant that they could, you know, they could shoot black people really when they wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that's occurring to me right now is, is a lot of this kind of throwaway <laughs> language where they can say, make some very inflammatory statements, but uh, be, you know, plausible deniability. Well, I never encouraged anybody to do this. It reminded yeah, me of what was going on uh, with the anti-abortion movement. Again, yeah. um, you know, in the 80s and the 90s in particular, where words like genocide, Holocaust, right, murder, right, right. slaughter, all of this was being used. And of course, you had mentally unstable people who were going around and killing uh, doctors and other medical providers. Right, uh, right. Who, who, who were providing abortion, and right. oh, we did. We know we we don't endorse violence. We're just going to use language that mentally unbalanced people can then run with. Right. Yeah. And and I think I think your point about you know who is the audience. Uh, and and how vulnerable are they to emotional agitation, uh, and how easily can they be uh, recruited into actions against their best interests or that are actually dangerous to them? That's super super important point. Um, and yeah, you know, it's like I've spent enough time in the yoga and wellness worlds to know that so many people come because they struggle with mental health issues, uh, and so you know, if they wind up tuning in to some. Uh, you know, alt health libertarian fest from from Bali, and they hear Sasha Stone say something like, "You know, uh, you know what's going on in Australia." Here's another quote: "That's it's called treason." People look up the word treason. It's punishable by death. It always has been. It hasn't actually been in Australia since 1914. But he doesn't care about that. So it's like, yeah, like how how many how many how many matches are you going to strike and throw onto the tinderbox of people's you know vulnerable paranoias right yeah 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 um a few years ago and there's a number of different examples of this but uh facebook twitter google they promised to make changes and basically do some censorship because of the the so-called uh, manipulation by russia of the the us election and and some very strange things happen you know certain sites that didn't seem to have anything to do with, with such a campaign were blocked many of them explicitly political and often left-wing political so the world socialist website is a great example right um 
And then uh, later on, personal story. I've had a uh, um, a storied, amazing writing career that, of course, uh, that everybody <laughs> listening and watching knows about. You know, you know my work. You love my work. Uh, you've seen it all around the internet. But one of the the many uh, incredible, high paying, high prestige gigs I had was uh, writing uh, quizzes for Facebook. And <laughs> you might have seen them if you've been on social media. And then there is a, a theory that uh, that that such quizzes had been had been used to harvest uh, data for the Trump campaign. This later actually turned out to be false, but that theory was circulated. So Facebook said, we're going to um, um, clamp down on these quizzes. And I was my contract ended it early. I, I was out of a job. So I, I'm using a few of these examples, and you probably know where I'm going with this. But Facebook right. and Twitter have both announced that they're aggressively clamping down and censoring QAnon. Do you think that this is a good thing and a good way to, to go about addressing this issue? Because I know that there can be some unpleasant side effects. One thousand percent, I think it's a great thing. And but I do have to say that I'm not familiar with the history of the side effects. So, you know, the World Socialist website that you mentioned, I hadn't heard that story. So obviously, uh, that collateral damage uh, has to be looked at and and taken care of. But the fact is that um, QAnon grow grew not only because of you know uh, the the internet usage of the anxious housebound uh, in in uh, when lockdown started, but also because the Facebook recommendation engine actually uh, promoted groups to connect people uh, who you know were were adjacent to to their content interests, right? And right. so and so you know Facebook and Twitter are primarily uh, responsible for the enormity of. Uh, this movement so far, and they've done almost nothing. I mean, I mean, the 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 purge of last week was a very strong action, and we'll see how it plays out and how well QAnon will be at uh, you know at ban evasion. Uh, how much coding coded language they'll start using, how they'll reform uh, the 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 data scientists are looking at how many people are reestablishing themselves on MeWe and. Uh, and and Telegram, which are much less accessible. Uh, you know, there's there's not a lot of of regular middle class boomers that are going to go to Telegram to get their to get their fix of conspirituality. So so it's a really really good thing, and it works. Like um, uh, when when uh, Mickey Willis's Plandemic uh, soared to like 20 million views uh, through Facebook and through the um, promotion primarily of Christiane Northrup, whose post of it on May 5th actually transmitted that video from QAnon groups to mainstream wellness groups. And then it, you know, it, it was off to the races. Um, 20 million views of that first 24 minute excerpt from his fake documentary uh, was um, kind of, a, was kind of amazing. And when Facebook decided to deplatform it, he really had to swim upstream to get a fraction of the same numbers on Brian Rose's London Real TV uh, platform uh, to to watch the full production of the video. Now, of course, the full the full documentary was, you know, four times as long as as the as the as the preview, and at least eight times as bad. So, I mean, it's like it's not like there's a lot of. It, it, it could have had low numbers just because people hated it, but um, his his reach was definitely impacted by the deplatforming, uh, and 
you know, uh, Mr. Ahmed uh, of of the CCDH said that um, uh, that David Ike's uh, deplatforming from from YouTube reduced his uh, subscribership overnight from 250,000 I think on YouTube to something around 40,000 on BitChute. Now he's going to he's going to grow that slowly, but it's going to be harder for him to do. Uh, and so deplatforming is super 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 effective and important I believe uh, when it comes to something as noxious uh, as QAnon as 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 corrosive to, you know, so many parts of our uh, civil discourse and 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 our relational matrix. And, and to clarify a, a statement uh, that, that you made uh, earlier in, in that explanation, you can make the argument that, that these are not passive platforms, because you mentioned the Facebook algorithm actually played a role in radicalizing people, of, of mm -hmm. delivering the content to them. So it's much more complex that you, you can make the argument. It's much more oh, complex absolutely. than I made a post. They've made money. They've made money yeah. on the expansion of QAnon because it increases engagement and it and it leverages advertising yeah. uh, and attention dollars. Absolutely, yeah. They have made they've made money on the proliferation of anti-vax groups. Uh, they have they have made money on whatever has been engaging and what ends up being engaging is inflammatory uh, and often disinformation based. And you know, like. I, I don't know if you if you both saw the social dilemma, but but there's a lot of people in that industry who are waking up to the to the shit show they've created and mm -hmm. kind of going and kind of shrugging their shoulders and doing this kind of like, uh, you know, I woke up too late, but I'm a tech bro and I want things to be better, but I don't know how we're going to control this now. Uh, a little bit, you know, it was disquieting to see so many smart guys all guys really uh saying saying uh well i guess we we, we had good intentions but you know i guess we're... like it's just so so bad it's so bad and 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 the 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 just the 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 dopamine cycle for them uh of watching the engagement just exponentially increase their market share and their and their and their earning potential that's a juggernaut that that I think was just impossible to put the brakes on. And even now, even now, I think the executive of YouTube yesterday said, well, you know, we're not going to commit to removing QAnon, you know, material. And I'm like, what, what are you even talking about? What are you even talking about? You know, this is the the FBI has declared it a domestic terrorist threat. Uh, Congress just condemned it you know, with 17 Republicans, you know, refusing to or saying no to the to the condemnation bill resolution. Uh, it's like, it, what, like, what is what what is YouTube? It's is it a separate country? Like, like what, what is it? I, I don't I don't understand. I don't understand how, uh, a, you know, a private company um, is somehow allowed to have more of an impact uh, over the the brain tissue of civil society than than its governments do when the governments are supposed to be liberal democracies. It doesn't make any sense, you know. So it's this weird thing watching people say to the YouTube exec, "So are you going to do something?" and and she's like, oh, "I don't know, you know. We'll sort of we're trying to look at it really carefully." And it's like it's like that meme with the dog in the house where it's all burning and the dog yeah. has grin on his face. It's like Come on, come on, you know, 
Like I know you, I know you're paralyzed because money is literally pouring into your clothes from outer space and making you stiff and unable to walk. But like, <laughs> do something, do something. Uh, I know when you didn't, I just wanted to say something here. I know uh, when we have to wrap up. Um, yeah. I wanted to point out that I recently reported on a case a situation with the FCC, FCC versus Prometheus project, which is a, a lawsuit regarding the FCC's loosening uh, of the public airwaves in the, in the, in the U S and making it more available to consolidations and less accountable to local communities. Uh, I'm seeing some parallels here, but of course, as John, as Deacon Jonathan brings up, we have to conclude the show, but I just right. wanted to mention that because you hit on something right there. I loved it, Matthew. Right. Right. Well, thank yeah. you. And, and I hate to wrap it up. Uh, we, we didn't get through all our questions. We could probably right. go all night. Uh, but Matthew, thanks again. And I, we, we won't book you right away. We'll allow right. you to have a Wednesday right. evening to yourself. yourself. Right. We, we'd love for you to come back because I know that we're, we're still bubbling and there's still more to talk about. Well, but, uh, you know, and, and on the, to that point, like, like I think, I think the, the work that I'm doing now that actually allows me the privilege of being able to talk to QAnon devotees is super fascinating to me. And, and and I think because this is going to be with us for a long time, uh, I think it's really important to uh, humanize it as much as possible. And that means trying to understand what they're really saying about their daily experience with this stuff. So so I'd be happy to talk about that anytime. Thank yeah, you so much. Amazing. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Well, that's it, everybody, for, for now at least. Uh, thanks again. And we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. So this is Deacon John signing off. Take care. I'm not a man, 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 I'